Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the bleak midwinter. You know, if you pay attention to the media, they have this sneaky use of labels. The, uh, the latest column I did is on this. You'll notice the media suggest our biggest political debates are between the far right, the ultra conservatives, and what they call nonpartisan groups. The networks on Tuesday morning were upset by Governor Greg Abbott signing a law that allows his state to actually police illegal immigration. And it was, you know, conservative Abbott versus civil rights groups threatened to sue, decrying the racial profiling. Um, it, so always you have to be aware of just the little clues that they drop. And one of them, one of the examples in the column was about ESG, uh, that there was an, a group, a nonpartisan group that was going to fund taking on the conservatives on ESG, environment, social governance. Uh, and it's a pile of Democrats. They call it a nonpartisan group. And we were like, well, let's look at these guys on Twitter. They tout themselves on Twitter. I was with Hillary. I was with this Democrat and that Democrat, the DCCC. It's the, the furthest thing from partisan that you could imagine. So we are going to discuss business and free speech. So joining me today, once again, is Joseph Vasquez, Associate Editor for MRC Business and Free Speech America. Welcome, Joseph. Good to be back, Tim. Thanks for having me. Let's start with what they call NewsGuard. We could call it liberal media guard <laughs> uh, you have a narrative new, guard <laughs> yes you you have a new study once again repeating what what you find is like you you go to this list from all sides that classifies publications best on based on their ideological tilt mm -hmm. right to left um and once again you determine news guard provided a rating of 91 percent out of 100 for for left and lean left outlets uh, with 100s, prefer like the New York Times and the Washington Post. <laughs> then at the same time, dinged, you said. It dinged right and lean right outlets like Fox News, the New York Post, and the Daily Wire with an outrageously abysmal average score of 65%, which then when you average those out is a 26-point disparity, which is why you're saying narrative guard. Absolutely narrative guard. I mean, like, you know, this dystopian outfit is the biggest affront to journalism that we're facing, like, like uh, you know, of our times. It, like, there is no other outfit that is just more egregiously clownish in its, you know, when it propagates itself as some sort of neutral arbiter of journalism ethics. But then when you look at the data, when you actually look at their rating system and how they score left to uh, left to right outlets, you see that the disparity is just ridiculous. Like you, you can absolutely say that the NewsGuard is put there as a political cudgel to silence conservative voices so that I could establish the left wing narrative as the established narrative. You can't go against that or NewsGuard will come after you. And what we did, we did. This is the third annual study that we've done. And the bias consistently has always remained the same. The first one that we did showed that NewsGuard was giving left outlets an average 93 out of 100 and then giving right-leaning uh, outlets 66 out of 100. And then it repeated, like the needle barely moved the second year that we did it. But then what was different about this time is that 
NewsGuard's ratings bias against right-leaning outlets got worse. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm like, oh, surprise, surprise. I mean, before like the right-leaning outlets were holding at least a 66 average, right, for the past two uh, past what two years or so, but now they tick down. Now it's 65. It's getting, it's getting, it's getting worse. And some of those are like, remind me, some of them are at like 12. <laughs> the Federalist got a 12.5. Newsmax got a 15. And uh, you know, just to put that into perspective. When we all, as an aside thing, as a bonus, you could say, I could look. I looked at how NewsGuard rated certain Chinese state propaganda outlets. <laughs> I, I, I did that again. I wanted to see, okay, I called them out for this before. I want to see if they got their act together. Well, sure enough, no, they, sh they, 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 they consider Chinese state propaganda to be more credible than U.S.-based media. I mean, like, for example, the China Daily, right? I think the Washington Post used yeah. to run a, you know, run a piece, like, uh, run yes. a section about it in its newspaper with the China Daily. They get, like, a 44.5 out of 100, but the Federalist gets a 12.5 and Newsmax gets a 15 out of 100. I'm like, hello! I mean, if you're operating as a media outlet within Beijing, within that country, you are operating at the behest of the Communist Chinese Party and... And you think, NewsGuard, that communist Chinese propaganda is more reliable than U.S. media? The joke writes itself. That's just the extreme side of it. I mean, the data is the data, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't conjure. I didn't come up with this list myself. That's why I rely on all sides. They do great work, you know, and and, and compiling this list for us. That's you know, so it removes there. You know, and NewsGuard accuses us of ch of cherry picking this data. I'm like, we didn't come up with this list. Someone right. else did. Right. You know, we're just we're just looking at the scores and comparing them. But this is how this is what NewsGuard is. It is a complete, it's a, it's a, it's a complete bastardization of the idea of journalism. It's 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 insane. And the fact that it gets government funding and it admits it on its website just proves the case. This is a dystopian ministry of truth, and it needs to be completely stripped of any taxpayer funding. You know, too sweet. <laughs> well, I think this is part of the problem: is that we have been, you know, your your project in particular, but conservatives in general have been noting that there is now this this whole trend with federal agencies, the State Department, the Pentagon, the Department of Homeland Security. Um, you know, you, we sort of stopped the Disinformation Governance Board from becoming a thing. Uh. But there's a bunch of federal grants going to groups like this yeah. to address the so-called misinformation problem. Uh, and uh, Monday on the Ingram angle, they were talking about something that was called a dynamic exclusion list. Um, speak. <laughs> yeah, which is basically uh, what that does, I suppose, I know it, at Google, it, they use it to say, if you don't want to associate your ads with these tweets from these groups, you can make a list. Well, blacklist. So, yeah, what basically happens is then they created a list of the of the least risky sites for propaganda. Who's on that? The New York Times, the Washington Post, NPR, ProPublica. Keep them running. Keep them running. No, here's where it gets funnier. It gets funnier than that. HuffPost. Oh, my God. And the worst one of all, BuzzFeed. You mean the defunct news outlet that peddled the, the, the stinking the, steel dossier? Correct. I mean, they're defunct and they're still considered to be more reliable. Well, and I think this is a list from, this may be a list from a year or two ago, but, you know, then on the list that's risky, the riskiest sites, guess who it is? It's the Federalist, the Blaze, the Daily Wire, the New York Post. And so they discussed this on Monday's Ingram Angle. Laura Ingram had Molly Hemingway in, and they just discussed this whole racket.
What can you tell us about this global disinformation index and this group called NewsGuard and how this tries to demonetize um, conservative media? So these are just two of the hundreds of censorship technologies that are out there that help elevate left-wing news and information and, and hurt those media organizations that are not towing the government line, that are not towing the Biden administration line. And so, yes, the Global Disinformation Index says that if you're the New York Times and you have peddled the Russia collusion conspiracy, you have peddled the, Rav the Kavanaugh rape smear, you have lied about the effects of COVID lockdowns. If you've done all of these things, you get a, you know, get a perfect rating from them. If you have done anything to debunk those stories with real facts and real information, you are rated as risky or, or, or uh, not to be trusted. And this matters because your ability to compete in the news marketplace is affected by these groups. You know, they, they influence how people allocate advertising, how search algorithms are done. And GDI is just one, again, of hundreds of these groups. Yeah, Joey, what amazes me about that is, yes, BuzzFeed can push the steel dossier. Uh, all these news outlets can... can uh, send this Kavanaugh rape allegation that has no basis where the accusers can't find where it happened or when. And that's somehow reliable information. And of course, yes, Russian collusion, which they all just couldn't get enough of. Uh, there's no, there never seems to be a moment where they say, well, gee, maybe instead of being at 100%, they should be at 96 That's, I mean, you've made it's that point. It's an insult. And, you know, just take a most, more recent anecdote. Just look at the, the way the media handled the, uh, the Al-Ali hospital bombing in Gaza. I mean, they immediately just, they went off the word of Hamas talking points, and then they smeared Israel and caused an international uproar because of it. But then even after it was proven that Israel had no responsibility for that bombing, NewsGuard decided, hey, so whatevs. I mean, so New York Times keeps it keeps its perfect 100 rating. The U.S. Uh, what else? Time Magazine did the same thing. They got a perfect 100. Reuters did the same thing. They got a perfect 100. Politico, they got a perfect 100. But, but, for the outlets that did get the story right. <laughs> 65. <laughs> yeah, 65. <laughs> 12 and a half. Yeah, 12 and a half. Yeah, but, exactly. Well, I, and I think this is, this underlines this point again, is that conservatives can look at something like this and say, yes, this is liberal media guard. They're saying the reliable sources are the liberal Democrat sources. The, the, you know, if it's a conservative source, you should distrust it. And it, yeah, it, it's impenetrable. It doesn't actually matter what the individual examples are. They're going to stick to that 100%. I think that that's one of the things you've, you've hit pretty accurately. Uh, Joe, you have a recent uh, special report, I noticed now in the office they have it uh, in, well, not book form, but in monograph form. You know, Joseph's done a bunch of reports on George Soros and now on his son, Alex Soros. And, uh, you know, if it's too hard to read on your phone, <laughs> you can write us or email us and say, I want, I want the hard copy. Uh, but tell us what you found. What was the title of the new report? Meet the new boss. In other words, worse, worse than, than the old worse boss. Worse than the old boss. <laughs> I mean, Alex Soros, you know, we did this we did this deep dive into him, and it's really one of the first of its kind because up until now, no one really knew much about Alex Soros other than the fact that he was a party hard socialite, you know, who would, you know, pow you know, pow with celebrities and you know and, and you know uh, do crazy parties in the Hamptons or something like that. That's what he became known for. He was known as the as the kid that embarrassed the Soros family name. 
But then, you know, when he became more politically active, he started getting a lot more vocal. If George Soros had a voice, it would be Alex Soros. George Soros is very reserved when it comes to voicing his opinions. That's why whenever he does interviews, it's considered extremely rare and it always makes news. Alex Soros is very much out there. He's very active on Twitter. I, this is actually the second in a three-part series that we did. The first one examined Alex Soros' statements. He's called the GOP everything from the Confederacy. Uh, you know, threat, you know, was prophesying civil war if Trump was to be reelected. I mean, you name it. You know, every lefty boilerplate issue. This guy takes it to the nth extreme. So what this report does is that it looks at the money. Alex Soros developed a little bit of a uh, of a fortune of his own, a small fortune. He's not nearly as rich as his father prior to getting just dumped with this massive uh, pile of cash that his father just handed over to him as an inheritance. But Alex Soros developed a fortune of his own in his own right. So we wanted to see, okay, maybe a way to gauge, let's see, to gauge more his political views, to see where his own money goes. And oh my gosh, some of the groups that he's funding. I mean, you're talking, you're talking about crazy it, it it's terrifying in light of now the 25 billion dollar fortune that he now has i mean for example one of the groups that he funds not only makes it a point to try to push new york to defend uh, to defund the new york city police uh, new york police department it wants to defund the police but then it also advocates sex changes for children without parental consent <laughs> and you know what's even worse is that you know alex source is not divorced from his father's fortune while he was funding these groups Alex Soros was also deputy chairman of his father's Open Society Foundation. So whatever OSF was funding, Alex Soros had a hand in that as well. And Open Society Foundations has continued to fund groups that Alex Soros funds. I mean, and others, other issues that Alex Soros funded groups who push uh, big tech censorship on a massive on a massive scale. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the groups called uh, is called Global Witness. It wants to censor debate on climate change. Mm -hmm. It created a list of blacklisted terms that they believe should not be allowed on social media platforms. You know, if you question the scientific consensus on man-made climate change, if you do all these things. They believe they, they argue that those kind of terms should not be allowed on social media. So I'm like, okay, so speech control. So Alex Soros has been funding this group for years. He praises it as one of his first grantees that he's given uh, money to. And you know, there's other groups that he's funded that he's even pushed climate change, uh, climate change preparedness as a military necessity, like as well. So now think about just him using that personal fortune that he has, and now he's just got infused with billions. And now you think the kind of political havoc he's going to be wrecking upon the United States? Look out. And you know what's what makes it even more worse? Even worse, I should say, is that he's also established a very, very significant international political network for himself with some of the world's top leaders. We count, we tallied, I think, 43 world leaders from Emmanuel Macron to Justice, Justin Trudeau. Like he hobnobs with these people on a regular basis and takes take selfies with them. I'm like, oh my gosh, so wait, so he's, does he have these, these, these guys on speed dial or something? I mean, he's even just recently went with President Bill Clinton to meet the Pope. I oh mean, boy. exactly. So if this guy's building this kind of an influence empire for himself, and now he has billions to push this insane agenda that he's one of one of his groups that he that he continually pushes is this as a group that he's personally involved in. It's called Bend the Ark uh, Jewish Action. And essentially, it is a group engineered towards convincing the American people that the Republican Party represents the greatest threat to Jews in this country. Whoa. Yeah, Exactly. Holy Rashida Talib. Exactly. And you know what? On his OSF profile, on the Open Society Foundation's profile, Alex Soros promotes that he's that he's the founding chair of Ben the Ark. And he tweets out their stuff all the time. Petitions against the Republican Party. Petitions smearing Donald Trump. As a matter of fact, um, there was a... One incident. There were, uh, do you remember the Pittsburgh uh, synagogue massacre yep. that happened? Okay, so... 
um, Ben the Arc Jewish Action was merged to be kind of like the advocacy arm of the umbrella group called Ben the Arc, a Jewish Partnership for Justice. The you know the it's it's a bit confusing, but Ben the Arc, a Jewish Partnership for Justice, is the umbrella group, the which Alex Ross also happens to fund, mm -hmm. and including his father's foundation. So what ended up happening was that uh, that Ben the Arcs on that his group Ben the Arcs umbrella group, um, their Pittsburgh affiliate wrote a letter saying that Trump wasn't welcome there in Pittsburgh until he denounces his anti-Semitism, denounces his like his movements, anti-Semitism, whatever. They tried to pin responsibility for that massacre upon Trump's rhetoric. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Trump is probably one of the, you know, like him or hate him. He's like one of the one of the one of the best friends to Israel that that, that Israel's had in years. Yes. Bar none. I mean I, it's it's really hard to argue. Yeah. You know, when they try to argue that, well, what they want to say is Oh, he he sidles up to the neo Nazis, therefore he's an anti Semite. But yes, obviously his record as president, yeah, with the Abraham Accords, etc. Absolutely, um, moving the moving the capital tell or, you know to Jerusalem, the whole nine yards. Exactly. Uh, it, it is it, it's a it's a weird flex. Yeah, exactly. But Ben the Ark's got Soros money behind it, and you know what? It's out there. It's out there to convince people. That it's that it's the right, it's the conservatives, you know, people, no, average Americans, and guess what? It also it has no issue uh, targeting Jewish voters, Republican Jewish voters who like Trump as well. It will go after them and say that you're 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 divorcing you're divorcing yourself from Jewish values because you support like you continue to support the pre, uh, President Trump. It's it, you know so, but this is the kind of stuff that Alex Soros has been promoting. And now he has this massive fortune. He's now the new head of this empire. America needs to look out. Things are about to get really dicey in the years ahead with this new guy as leading this 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 empire. Well, this is why, for a number of years now, the Media Research Center has sort of uh, you know had a Soros watch project because yeah, they have a lot of money in their Open Sewer Foundation. Oh, I'm sorry, Open Society. <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, and. Uh, yeah, it's the same way that they've tried to say the evangelical Christians who support Trump are bad Christians. And it's like, well, are we trying to say that journalists and Biden voters are good Christians? Uh, we'd like to have that debate. All right. Uh, the uh, Your group over there, Free Speech America, has a new list up of the worst censors of 2023. And I'm not surprised that your boss, Dan Schneider, has decided number one is Google because <laughs> Google is evil. <laughs> Uh, it is the font of all evil, as he likes to as he likes to say. Uh, but you know, obviously, yes. We, as we've probably discussed before, uh, if you go at Google and look for presidential campaign websites, they have this tendency to sort of suppress the Republican ones. You oh, can't yeah. you can't seem to find them. Uh, uh, and MRC researchers recorded a total of 169 cases of censorship against the 2024 presidential primary candidates to date. In the censortrack.org database, and 149 of those came from Google and YouTube. So, it, exactly. I mean, you know, Google, and you know, the funny thing is, is that whenever you try to point out any kind of systemic bias within Google's algorithm, they get hedgy and they said, no, we've never engaged in anything. We're politically neutral. We're just simply a search engine or whatever. Then I'm like, then show us your algorithm. Uh, no. Yeah. I mean, just trust us. And I'm like, okay. So that's, great commercial so secret. I'd like to see that, you know, like, I see that kind of defense uh, hold weight in a courtroom, in a criminal case. Yeah, you look, yeah, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Well, like, well you know, I, I didn't, well, 
just trust my word for it. Trust me. Yeah, we have we have this mountain of evidence against you. Yeah, but just trust me. I'm accusing Google of something, right? We're accusing Google of being systemically biased against the right, let alone the Republican presidential candidates, Biden's opponents. Why in the world am I going to take their word for it that they're somehow not biased? This bias has repeated itself. This isn't the first study that we came out with right. about this thing. It's it's shown itself over and over again. So for Google to, you know, what's scary is that Google controls well over 90% of the search engine market. Right. So it can con so it literally by de by definition has control over what people see when they go into search. You know they 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 can choose what results they decide to elevate, which they decide to suppress, which they decide to kick to page two. I mean this is you know and this is not just a one off thing. We've seen a pattern here. So Google's got to answer some questions. I mean like for goodness sakes, I'll do it on the podcast. I call upon Congress, drag Google in front of a hearing and expose this to the world. Google is not a neutral entity. If one thing we've learned from the Twitter files that we've learned from the disinformation governance board uh, debacle is that government is in bed with big tech and it wouldn't surprise me in the least if there's somehow back channeling going on with google with regards to suppressing certain results that the biden administration find disagreeable it will not surprise me if that if there will one day be google files that we find mm -hmm. i'm saying you heard it here for you heard it here first I, I, there's there, a project for 24 there's a project for yeah the google files imagine but you know so you know, so when we came up with the worst, I mean, of course, Google's going to be at the top because it's arguably the most powerful. Yes. I mean, and that's the funny thing now is that uh, sometimes in my case, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to be a rebel and use DuckDuckGo or I'm just going to use the Bing just <laughs> just to, you know, make it one tiny tick less than using Google, uh, <laughs> you know, because, yeah, they are dominant and it's just a search engine. Sure. Obviously, yeah, we all know that they're very intent on, well, we want people to find the correct results. Uh, this leads me to something I mentioned to you earlier. Uh, Bill Adair, a founder of PolitiFact, is now complaining, fact-checking is failing. That doesn't mean PolitiFact is doing anything wrong. Oh, jeez. It's just that the old standard of posting your fact-checks on a website isn't working, and he's upset that somehow conservatives and republicans don't trust the fact checkers <laughs> enter newsguard not only are we going to fact check you but we're going to come after your advertising yeah well and but this is the, the neat thing about politifact as a website is you can literally just go on there and say all right uh joe biden what's what's your general click you know what how often do you find him false um and <laughs> you know biden versus any republican versus and we've made this point, Trump, Ted Cruz, Newt Gingrich, you yeah. name it, the Republicans going to be called false or mostly false or pants on fire two-thirds of the time. Exactly. So it's like the idea it's that— an evergreen thing. <laughs> the idea that the conservatives don't trust it, 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 it it's the classic thing for liberals. Well, we're not going to actually investigate whether we have a tilt. The problem is that conservatives haven't accepted our tilt yet, <laughs> right? I mean, that that's— uh, he said, after I found a PolitiFact in 2007, I often said our goal wasn't to change people's minds or get politicians to, to stop lying. It was simply 
to inform democracy. Oh, what but, does that mean? Oh, it's it's the it's the class. catch all. I'm so sick of it. Liberals always think we're we're improving democracy by forcing our opinions down your throat. Oh yeah, we're, yeah, we're we're also enforcing democracy by get by having a Supreme Court kick a candidate off of the state ballot. Yeah, that's democracy. So of course he says fact checkers need to be more assertive in getting truthful information to the audience that needs it. Uh, and so what does that mean? He says, it was time to experiment with new forms that target the people who are misinformed and push content directly to them. And surprise, they'll get tech companies and social media platforms to expand the use of fact-checking data to suppress misinformation i mean this is it's <laughs> it's basically like well 2020 Who died and made him king i don't <laughs> well and exactly. this is i think what we could argue i mean yeah. i i'm an old guy i remember when we really didn't have a space for conservative information to flow then suddenly That's we right. had we got rush limbaugh in the late 80s we got fox news in 96 the internet in general and, the yeah. and talk radio but all of these things panicked the lefties yeah. Like our suppression isn't perfect. Somehow <laughs> other information and other narratives are getting out. Yep. And they're constantly panicked about that and, and double panicked since Trump. Yes. Uh, but it's yeah. I mean, it's like they look at what happened in 2020 and they don't see any cause there to say. Gee, we we pushed this narrative that the Hunter Biden laptop was not real. And then we had to acknowledge it was. And it's like there's no correction there. There's no notion of let's not do that again. What you're really hearing from these people is, no, let's take 2020 and double and triple yeah, it. Yeah, double and triple. yeah there, I mean, self-reflection. I mean, I don't expect that from the from these hacks in the media. I mean, like they knew what they were doing. You know, I would venture to say, you know, they, they plead they plead ignorance. They couldn't verify the Hunter Biden story when it came. I was like, yeah, right. You're what? what remind me, what are you again? You're a what? A journalist. What do journalists do? Well, and then remember, yes. Yeah, so the FBI had that lap. They sat on that laptop for a exactly. year. But, but the New York Post, when they came out, I'm like, the first inclination, if you are an ethical journalist, is to investigate the facts. Is to is to dig information up to see if anything else can be can be found. That's good journalism. But then saying, oh yeah, this is probably Russian disinformation, like Stephen Brill did on CNBC. Hello, the NewsGuard CEO. That's I'm, right. Exactly. I mean, how many outlets were running with that narrative? Yeah, they're not going to do the legwork. They're just going to say, oh, this is probably just something propagated by Russia. I mean, give me a break. It well, was they started with. Well, it's coming from Bannon and Giuliani, and this is what liberals do: is they go to the they go to other journalists and they go, "You're not going to be sharing what Rudy Giuliani wants you to share, <laughs> right?" It's the shaming. They shame you. They and, shame and, you. And, and and I think the whole the whole problem here is we all saw this in the in the first impeachment in 2019. Yeah. Is the impeachable offense was Trump said, "Gosh." Somebody should investigate this Hunter Biden thing, <laughs> and so it yeah. becomes a it becomes an impeachable offense that he objects to the fact that the news media doesn't act like the news media and yeah. actually investigate what's going on with the Biden family. Exactly, exactly. But the media is not intent on doing that. The same way that you'll see some media outlets even defending now what the Colorado Supreme Court just did to Trump without him even being convicted of anything. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, without him being being convicted of anything, they tried to use the Fourteenth Amendment 
uh, issue with regards to insurrection, even though Trump was not charged with, 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 with that. But, you know, but guess what? The media will defend that kind of thing and defend him getting kicked off. Imagine if the roles were reversed. Right. And Biden was the one that got kicked off. If Trump, you know, oh. I, I, can you imagine? We we all know the kind <laughs> of, I mean, especially because he's currently the president. But I mean, I, it is. Can you imagine? The, 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 but the funny thing about it, Joey, is the idea that they're all like, well, this will really show Trump. And I think. Uh, they never seem to realize, or maybe they do, that the that the common conservative reaction to this is to be like, yeah, who's for democracy and who's not? Exactly. That's why, it, when, it, yeah. It's the idea that they basically, the judges in Colorado said, you can't write him in. Yeah, exactly. You're not allowed to write him in. <laughs> exactly. So what? So what exactly is the definition of democracy then? It's just this moving goalpost thing where they could just change the definition whenever they want to suit their political interests. So that's when whenever he's oh, he's a threat to our democracy. Oh, defending our democracy. I'm like, no, you're what you're defending is your authoritarian bent. That's what you want. You want your political agenda to go no matter no matter what. That's why with regards to Trump, the way the media have handled him with regards to this. I mean, for goodness sakes, even the like. Even the impeachment inquiry that the Republicans have launched into Joe Biden. I mean, there is, I mean, for example, let's just take the bribery scandal, for example. If, you know, there's documents, there's text messages and all mm -hmm. these things, which journalists would naturally or should be interested in looking into further. Right. Right. It shouldn't have to take the Republicans in Congress to look into that. We have journalists who are supposedly went to school for this kind of stuff. Hello. But they I know. Mean, but here, you know, but this is what they know. Yeah. They know that the impeachment is for for treason, bribery, or high crimes and misdemeanors. They know bribery is right there. So exactly. We have quite aggressively in the second half of this year, like on a daily basis, Jeff Dickens was tweeting like, it's 266 days or whatever, and they've been ignoring <laughs> the claims that Biden accepted bribes. And, and they would say there's absolutely no evidence, and then somebody comes up with, here's Biden's brother giving him a check for $200,000. Yeah, so what? That's a loan repayment. So, so, oh, yeah. can we see the loan documents? No. <laughs> So I mean, so, it, so let me let me let me let me let me just pose this question. Okay, leftist media, let me ask you a question then. What would you consider to be evidence? What is evidence according to you? Give us a definition, and we'll see if we can meet that standard. How about we start there? Yeah. And if we reach there, are you going to still say that there is no evidence? But the thing is, that's the point. They always move the goalposts. It doesn't matter what evidence is conjured up. It's. I think this is the whole the whole problem. In that is, it really does sound more like a narrative and a mantra. Yeah, they're not pushed to say, "What what evidence do you need?" Because yeah. yes, when when you start showing checks yeah. <laughs> for forty thousand, checks for two hundred thousand, and they just simply accept, well, the Biden said it was a loan repayment from where? Yeah, where? <laughs> it, and they, yeah, there's just there doesn't seem to be any follow up. So that is the kind of thing that we're concerned about. So. You know, this is why you come to Newsbusters, because we've got different arms here. Joey's doing the business thing, the corporate thing, the big tech thing with Free Speech America. And then we're just doing all the generalized political bias. That's why you come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.